It's time for another episode of iGosian Airwaves, the official podcast of iGo Global. I'm your host, Lance Shoemake, and I have another really helpful interview for you today. In fact, I went back to Lubbock. The last three episodes, we talked to Nick Watts, who's a pastor on staff at Bacon Heights Baptist Church. And in this episode, we'll go back to Lubbock via Zoom, of course to talk to Mike Martindale. And Mike is in ministry and he's a pastor, but he's a longtime friend. I've known this guy for a long time. He really, really gets it. In fact, he's kind of the MacGyver of ministry. He was, when I first met him a long time ago, he was doing bivocational youth ministry. Then he became full-time youth minister. And then Bacon Heights Baptist, where Nick Watts has actually planted him 20 years ago as the pastor, they started a church called the Heights Fellowship, where that's where Mike still is today as the senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever you want to call him. In Mike's perspective, man, he's done so many different things, all the different positions. He's been a super summer leader for a long, long time over at the Hardin-Simmons campus. He led super summer, assistant director, green school guy, but was the leader of the Hot Hearts in Lubbock. Um, and back in the day, that, that thing was a huge ministry there. He's done so many things. But his perspective on ministry, his perspective specifically on student ministry is so great. I wanted you to hear that because I wanted to talk to Mike about the essential nature of ministry to students, ministry to teenagers, and what's essential about it, why is it so important, what things we should focus on. So if you're a youth minister, this is going to be great. But really, if you're a student, you're a pastor, you're a church member that cares about teenagers in any way, like this is going to be helpful because Mike has such a great perspective from all of his experience and all of his knowledge and all of his wisdom. So you're going to love this interview with Mike, brought to you by the great people at Zoom, all the way from Lubbock, Texas, on iGosian Airwaves. Well, you guys are back with us on iGosian Airwaves, and we have another guest from the West Texas area, the uh, the Panhandle area. I, we'll figure that out real quick, but this is, I'm not, we've had a pretty good run here, but I'm not exaggerating when I say this is one of the Mount Rushmore guys in Texas youth ministry. There's like Chuck Flowers, there's Ricky Cavett, who's still doing it somehow. Yeah. There's the greatest of all time, the GOAT. There's Grant Bird wants to be on there, but like we just keep voting him out. So he's never going to make it. And and then this guy, Mike, Michael Martindale is our guest on iGosian Airways today. Mike, welcome to the show. Hello, all iGosians out there and ships at sea. Great to be with you. <laughs> Mike is a pastor in Lubbock. He's been, how long have you been pastor in Lubbock? At this place, 19 years. 19 years. Before that, you were in youth ministry. For 20 like, years, yeah. Yeah, tw- yeah, all over the place. You, <laughs> Mike and I met when I was a college student on a revival team, and those stories really don't need to be told in a recording format. And That was a legendary group of guys. You realize yeah. you guys are, are legends, every one of you. I mean, you were led by a senator from the state of Oklahoma now. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Redheaded guy on C-SPAN. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. yeah. James Langford led us. Jason Brown, Randall Lyle, uh, Johnny Rocco, Toby Johnny Tapp. Rocco, Toby Tapp. And we showed up at South Georgia Baptist Church, and 
the rest is history and i don't uh, yeah probably yeah, we're not going to talk way. about the very first conversation we had our nope. organizational meeting nope we can talk about that when i stop recording um that's one of those stories but man i i'm so excited to talk to you bro like you know, we connect and stay connected through our love of basketball and all kinds of things all the time. And every now and then I'll just show up in Lubbock to, to hang out with you because you're too scared to come to Dallas. And I get it. I get it. I understand. But man, I'm excited to talk to you about youth ministry because you've, you've done it all. Like when I first met you, your bivocational youth ministry, then you became full-time and you ran like hot hearts in Lubbock, which was the coldest hot hearts on the planet, but also the best one, a you cold hot it, hearts. You called it ice cold hearts. If ice cold hearts in Lubbock because it was in a ice hockey, hockey stadium. Yeah. Um, you, you were assistant director of Super Summer for years and years and years, and you've done all kinds of things in youth ministry. You were on the first ever IGO team that we don't even call the first ever IGO team because we did an MK retreat and we were just basically skiing and and slovenia you've done it all bro and now you've been pastoring and so I'm, I'm, i want to talk about youth ministry i want to talk about ministry i want to talk about all the things that you see in that and and see what see what comes up with that but we can't do that without first doing some rapid fire questions <clears throat> i've been looking forward to these I, by the way you didn't mention I thought the one credential that you would definitely throw out, am I, am I the first guest on iGosian Airways who has actually kicked off the board of iGo and iWitness? <laughs> I, I don't know why you say that you were kicked off the board. And if you were, it's because J.R. Vassar kicked you off. I would have never done that. He's, he's surly and uncaring. But our board... Like we, we have a good board. I love our board, but our board over time has been pretty interesting. And I like literally that, I don't know why you bring this up. Last night I was at the grocery store and I ran into a guy who used to be on our board and he didn't recognize me. He didn't recognize me. I had to introduce myself to him. He was on the IGO board and he did. I was like, Hey, hey, I won't say his name. Hey man, what's going on? He's like, <laughs> Are you? He goes, yeah. I go, well, I'm Lance Shoemaker. He's like, oh, <laughs> and this is my hometown grocery store. So <laughs> you were a better board member than that guy. And I, there's no way you got kicked off. So, well, you know, you kindly informed me that my contract would not be renewed. I don't know what that means. But. Yeah, that was definitely an email from JR that he probably sent from my computer. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so you're, you're in Lubbock. Kai will be mad at me if I don't ask you how far you live from Panhandle, Texas. I live approximately 154 miles from the beautiful city of Panhandle, Texas. City. They got like a pharmacy and a Dairy Queen. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just like, I've, I've, some people listen to our podcast, they have no idea how big Texas is and where Lubbock is. So that always helps them if we can tell them where it is from Panhandle, Texas, um, the, the town, not the region. You know, I travel, I travel all over the world, even to this day, and people want to know how close are you to Panhandle? Exactly. That's why we do it. We always help people out. Rapid fire questions, bro. Um, Here we go. You know, they're designed just to like, whatever comes out of this is, is going to be on the air. So um 
I don't know where to start. I, I'm trying to do just five rapid fire questions, but it's pretty hard um, with you to just Have do five. Have you collaborated with others to, to come up with these questions or are these all you, Shoot? Yeah, this other people I, I interview, I have to collaborate with you. It was like, what do I cut? Um, I don't, I don't even know, but I want to start with, I want to start with what I think is an easy one, but it sometimes proves to be a hard one because there's so many and it's kind of off the spot, but like, just to kind of get things going, what's your best super summer story? You've done so many things at super summer. I had one guy, John Davison, who was a green school student the year the squirrel got loose and Sam Perry kicked everybody out because he thought they were doing the wave and they were one just trying to get away. stories in super summer history. One of the greatest. Uh, Nick Watts, um, he told a story about accidentally stabbing himself in the thigh with scissors and bleeding out during- I, um, I actually remember that too. <laughs> yeah, but um, I haven't had Richard Covington on, but like he was on stilts and tried to hug me and I just moved out of the way. And so he just fell over on the floor. I'm sure that would come out. I remember somewhere. the year he was on stilts <laughs> yeah. too. He was like Uncle Sam on stilts or whatever. <laughs> yes, he was. And he, he came up and I was like, I'm getting out of the way of this guy. And he had already committed to the hug. So Trick, you know, Trick didn't just do that for Super Summer. <laughs> He does that a lot because he's always wanted to be a little taller than he is now. He always needed to be a little taller than he is. Yeah. It would enhance his four square or his, uh, his connect four skills. Connect four. He <laughs> needs so much help in connect four. If he could get a better angle, he yes. might figure out the strategy. <laughs> so what's your best super summer story, man? It can be funny. It can be, you can be spiritual if you want to. I mean, the, well, that probably isn't going to happen. I, yeah. You know, one year we did, uh, we went all out on a theme. It was called really? Soul, Soul Provider. You went all out on a theme. That's Yes, yes we did. Yeah. And uh, so we went kind of retro 60s, early 70s kind of shtick. And we were dressed up in a lot of polyester and, and perm wigs. And we basically had a dance party on the loading dock of the band hall at uh Hardin Simmons mm -hmm. it was that's where they did the booths the booths that year okay and um we had a guy named Jason Hudson good friend of mine was our worship leader and he he was a great DJ and he DJed all day long <laughs> and we must have sung YMCA I don't know 40 or 50 times during the you know couple of hours that we were there doing it seemed like we did it we were just looping it over and over and over <laughs> uh and chuck flowers started getting calls from pastors because we were playing that song over and, and he had to field a lot of of problems with that and um so i've always always felt blessed that uh you know i enabled papa papa chuck to use his uh, damage control skills in a big way <laughs> Anytime you can get Chuck Flowers some phone calls from from upset pastors, I think you're winning. I think that that's, I think Chuck, when he plays golf every day, he thinks about those things and he hits the ball a little further. Papa Chuck's still decompressing from all of the... Yeah, from, from your super summer stories and hot hearts combined, he's decompressing. Yes, he is. And, yes, and he is. Never, never will stop, probably, yeah. And uh, so dance party at Hardin Simmons, you got to see Joe Luscombe's uh, breakdancing skills. Like, was he on full display? You know, pe people people don't give Joe the credit he deserves for his dancing moves. No, I, I in fact, I've never heard anybody 
given any credit for that. I mean, there's there's Michael Jackson, and just <laughs> below that somewhere is Joe yeah. Luston. Wow, below below Michael Jackson somewhere. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah, um, I I didn't know what was going to come out because I know there's some stories you probably would like. I don't know if this is safe and fun for the whole family. I don't think. Uh, It'll be on Christian radio. So I appreciate you telling that story. Well, I, I, will, I will tell you another one. <laughs> Way back when we were at, um, at Wayland Baptist on their oh, on wow. Yeah. So this is back early 90s even. Um, they, didn't, they weren't fully staffed going into the week. And so they frantically were pulling staff uh, from other, other campuses and I got there on Saturday and they told me, listen, you don't have a team leader coordinator. We're giving you a guy, a, a college guy by the name of Jason Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> and this story goes south from there. Yeah. Uh, Bishop did a great job. He came in from, uh, I think he'd either been at East Texas or Dallas. I, I can't remember where he had been the week before, but he had been yellow school that week we were blue school that year okay. so uh we weren't the same school but he still had his yellow school name tag from the week before and we would go to rick and he would dress up he had a some of the old people here will know what i'm going to say he had a rick cool wig that he wore <laughs> and he was jason when he's when he's out in the sun his he just turns really dark he's really really he tans really dark and he had these aviator mirror shades, this Rick Cool wig, and he would wear his yellow school name tag and eat sunflower seeds during rec and spit them at the uh, rec team people. So the rec team people are marking points off of yellow school. And yellow school was losing all the sportsmanship, all, you know, all of those deals all week long. And finally, the last day of rec, they figured out that it was a blue school guy who was doing it. And I was standing right by him just laughing because blue school was playing and he's wearing a yellow school name tag, watching the blue school play, spitting sunflower seeds. And we're winning all this stuff. Well, Chuck Flowers pulls me aside <laughs> and says, Martindale, you need to do something about your team leader coordinator. And I looked at him and said, Chuck, you gave him to me. You do something with him because <laughs> I don't know how to control him. So and Bishop's ever been has. out of control ever since. That's exactly right. Can you imagine what kind of meltdown would have ensued if the yellow school team, if the yellow school Dean would have been Ed Lowe? Yeah, I know. Like Ed would have melted. Made it better is if it would have been Ed Lowe who was losing points. I mean, he would have burned the whole place down. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody loves super cool. Bishop was was trying to date the team leader coordinator from Green School. Yep. And this is before he had met his Karen, who his wife, and and he was trying to date the girl from Green School. And there was this whole, you know, pada pedazant thing going on. And we got together for the banquet on Thursday night, and we called we were calling Jason the Wolf because he was <laughs> he was a hound man, and he was so we would do this wolf howl. Well, we got Chuck to do the wolf howl during, <laughs> during the banquet. And he had no idea why he was doing it. He just knew everybody else was doing it. And we've always thought that was really funny too. That's Bishop really was good. out of control, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, nothing's changed. Out and of control, so the he's, wolf. He's taking it international these days. That's exactly right. The Bishop and uh, 
Yeah, I like how you said it was before he met his Karen. But you, you, that's really her name, guys. That's she's really not, her name. She's really, she's really great. She's, she's, not, one of, she's one of the great women of all time. She's not a Karen, as it's become to be known. She doesn't need to speak to your manager. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so uh, is it true? Hey, by the way, and I just want to go on record. I just want to go on record as saying one of the stories I can't tell, but I, I know that those are there are many who are listening who will know what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to float it out. Mike Holster, that's all you got to know. Mike Holster. <laughs> many, I don't know who you think our audience is, Martindale, <laughs> but it's like 11 people. <laughs> And two of them are related to me. So, um, Mike, yeah. Mike Holster and Heck on the Kisser. That's all you got to know. <laughs> Feels like I need to pull this back real fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. On. So, is, is it true that playing uh, pickup basketball in the gym where they filmed the Hoosiers movie was just too much pressure for you to handle at the time? You know what? I, I hate to admit it, but, you know, I did not rise to that moment, Shoemaker. And I think it was the defensive pressure from the all-purpose guard from Angleton got to me. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm I am Bill Murray and Space Jam. I do not play defense, bro. Defense is I'm going to outscore the guy I've got to guard. That's my whole that's my whole defensive strategy. You get your guys. <laughs> yeah, I I you know I could have looked at looked at coach and said, Coach, I'll make it, and I would have missed it that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that martindale and i spent some time in indiana and we got access through a friend of ours to the gym the gym where they filmed the movie hoosiers not where like the true story was based on in milan but there's a gym in knightstown indiana where they filmed that all the home yeah. games and it's a pretty cool little gym old school gym and we played pickup ball and it was about 110 degrees in the yeah. gym that day too yeah yeah, it's way too hot for Indiana. And yeah, just say that on that day, Martindale's Connect Four skills were way better than his hoop skills. Yes, but yes. Is, uh, before his knees gave out on him, he could play some hoops. Uh, speaking of hoops, what are your current thoughts on Texas Tech basketball? Do you have any current thoughts to share with the world? I'm excited about the, the status of Texas Tech basketball. You know, a few people know this, but uh, a college somewhere downstate came and poached our coach. And uh, we, we promoted a guy up who's not only a great coach, he's really, I think, the defensive mind that got them to the Final Four. Hmm. Uh, but he's also a believer and a good man. And uh, they are signing us telling you off camera, they are signing a kid today who signed a letter of intent. He is, he is the Lance Shoemaker of this part of the country. I'm telling you all purpose can do it all, man. And uh, great, great handle can shoot lights out coaches kid. He's smart. He's savvy can play the game. It's, it's going to be a good day for Texas tech basketball moving forward. Well, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about with that other part about me because I was I could not do it all and definitely still not smart but <laughs> I'm glad that you have a positive approach because I know there's some negativity in the last month last few weeks there in Texas Tech was what happened from that school and the uh in the hippie world 
but I'm glad you're keeping it positive. I like that. There's a, I told you off camera, there's a, a, a guy who just finished it up at yeah. DBU that transferred into tech. You need to watch out for a, a kid named Chandler, man. He can really play and he's coming in. So yeah, I'm glad it's still looking up. Chandler and Ethan Duncan, remember these two names. Yeah, yeah. Wreck them as, as they say, or something like that. Um, is, is it true that your love of college basketball is great, but for some reason you just can't get into the final four? Is that true? <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think some of it has to do with the, the company I keep. Um, yeah, some of it, some of it has to do with, you know, I just, I have a servant's heart and I want the next guy to get the chance to, to see the final. I think I've, I think I've been to six final fours. I've actually been in four final fours. How about hmm. that? Hmm. One, you know, uh, there was that time up in Indianapolis where uh, we went down to get tickets and mm -hmm. uh, we split up. We thought, you know what, we're, we're going to get on both sides of the Coliseum. Seems like a good plan. I'll get a ticket. You'll get a ticket. and We'll go to the final four, the, the final game on Monday. Or and you could, so you could I, find two tickets and get them for both of us. You could that do that. Would be great if I could. So uh, I, I got my ticket. And uh, my friend, uh, my, my partner in, in this deal, was nowhere to be found, wouldn't answer a phone, couldn't get hold of him. And come to find out, he was actually in the Coliseum on the floor meeting, hobnobbing, sharing basketball wisdom with the greatest coach to ever live, John Wooden. The wizard. And uh, didn't bother to tell me that he had done it till after he was out. They opened the door and I walked in. No one said stop. And then I, I, when you meet the wizard of Westwood, you forget that you're there to buy a ticket. <laughs> I forgot what I was there to do. Understandable. Yeah. But we had a good time watching it from so the we, living room. We, didn't we watch that from your living room? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where it went down. And then your daughter. Yeah. Uh, because she, she lived in the wrong part of Houston, kept you from seeing Villanova crush those Tar Heels, which... Yeah, one of the greatest. We, we, I got there late. We were actually at Super... That's another Super Summer store. We were at um, exec staff training, and, right. and I found out on Monday about lunch that I had tickets. And so I told them, I love God. I love Super Summer. I love ministry, but I'm going to the Final Four. <laughs> And headed down to Houston and got there late and ended up watching that game from Top Golf. Top Golf. So it is, like you said, it, maybe it is somehow connected to the company you're keeping. Company I keep. I mean, legend has it that Mackenzie Martindale is a big fan of the forestry department of Texas A&M outside of Lubbock, where there's no trees at all. So, yeah, maybe it forest is. Of, the forest of Floyd Ada. <laughs> the Floyd Ada Forest. <laughs> That tree out there, Texas A&M, boy, they got their eye on it. Just, just for the record, there are more trees in uh, the great city of Panhandle than there are in Floydata. That's, that's, that's saying something <laughs> about the lack of trees in Floydata. And, and it says a whole lot about where the Aggies would put a forestry department. <laughs> it's an Aggie joke waiting to happen. And yes, it is. Right now, the Martindales and me, that we're the only ones making it, but it ought to be somewhere else. Um. I know you've been involved in a lot of youth camps 
And I know that you're old school enough to know that super summer is not a youth camp. So we won't, we'll take super summer out of the equation, right. but wasn't it pretty much, it, it's kind of a true statement to say that all youth camps were basically downhill after 97 in Aspendale. Am I right? You know what? Nobody got hit with golf balls after 97. Those guys were hitting golf Those balls. Those guys were hitting golf balls. <laughs> I mean, you... For those of you who don't know, the host of this podcast was launching golf balls at children. I mean, not since Matt Chandler <laughs> shooting paintballs at kids has that happened, so... Matt Chandler, we're sorry if you're listening to this for many, many reasons. But that, like, that was a Southern Baptist youth camp run by a bunch of Southern Baptist guys where the director of the camp... Mr. Martindale went all Pentecostal and was healing kids, if I remember correctly. <laughs> with a little help from Nurse Tammy, there was there was healing. There was if you hit kids with golf balls, you got to be you got to have somebody there ready to heal them, I guess. But oh man, you're a daisy if you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I, I, many times I wonder if it was like kids were just trying to avoid hearing that camp preacher, camp pastor he brought in who had never done a camp before in his life. And that's why they kept going to the infirmary. But man, you sure were healing them. And uh, it was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I was a healer there for a moment. <laughs> All right, last rapid fire. And this will transition us maybe. Who, who knows anymore? I, I, I wanted to figure out like what, why you feel like your ministry never took off after you weren't able to put a cross in the YEC cross in 1997, but maybe we need to just not, not do that today. What, what's the biggest mistake you ever made in youth ministry? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can say it in on, on air. Um, can you say, can you say a mistake? Like maybe it's not the biggest one, but hey, here's a mistake I'll never forget. <laughs> and I don't want to hear wow. anything about when you missed your turn in San Antonio. I don't want to hear that one. <laughs> oh, that was one of the great youth ministry moments. Yeah. Just to all the youth ministers out there, remember your kids are listening at all times <laughs> to everything you say and every reaction you make. They always watching Wasowski. Be careful, you know, some of us have a testimony um, for a reason, and uh, <laughs> we discovered it that day. We're all uh, people. That was, uh, I, I, you know, I, just in general, I think one of the mistakes that I, I felt like some of my best ministry came out when I was um, my last youth ministry here in Lubbock, I didn't develop my parent ministry as well as I should have. Hmm. Uh, and I didn't realize it until the last couple of months I was there, um, how I could have done better. I could have done much better and could have worked that earlier than I did. And, and um, I had a lot more parental support. They, wa they really wanted to be involved in what God was doing more than I let them. Hmm. And um, I, so I didn't delegate stuff out to parents as well. That's, that's a really vague kind of general thing. But as I've looked back at that, because that ministry was, was running at such a high level, 
I should have developed that better. I should have recognized it sooner. And, and I just didn't. Man, that, I, I didn't know if we'd get like a funny story and obviously you're probably keeping those stories off, off the recording and that's, that's probably better for everybody. But that, that answer is really good. Cause that really does transition us because I want to, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about youth ministry from your perspective. And I've, I've been, for some reason, I'm still doing youth ministry, Martindale. I don't know what in the world, like maybe I can't get promoted or whatever, but um, I tell people all the time that at this age, I finally almost understand students because I've survived them living in my house. Um, but I see, I still see so much youth ministry and I see those younger guys and, and, and it's not all across the board, but I see younger guys in youth ministry that are really struggling to get parents involved. And I, I see that all the time that like, you know, there's no parents involved and it's that younger guy. Sometimes maybe he thinks that I don't need the parents or he's intimidated because the parents are ahead of him uh him or her in age and so he doesn't know how to ask them or how to employ them like what do you think is one of the roadblocks that kept you from getting parents involved that you go back and change if you if you went back and did it you know early on when when we first met in ministry um because i you were a college student and i was in my 20s i think i was no yeah i was about 20 late 20s probably yeah. and um, my wife and I were still, we were still trying to have our daughter. We, we did six years of infertility before we were able to, right. to have Mackenzie. And so we got a late, kind of a later start than a lot of parents. Um, and so I wasn't a parent and I was younger than most of my parents. And I really, you touched on it, was a little bit intimidated to tell them how to parent when I had never successfully or unsuccessfully parented. Sure. Um, but my mentor, the, the guy who mentored me, his name was Jeff. Um, he and his wife were never able to have children. And they, you know, they, they just, you know, that was back in the fifties and sixties when they were trying to, to conceive and infertility really, really didn't exist much then. And they just, you know, yeah. Couldn't. And so they invested themselves in other people's children hmm. in youth ministry and in college ministry and, and as pastors and, and just had a marvelous, marvelous ministry. And, and Jeff told me one time, he said, do what you do with excellence and then just minister and let the Lord work that out. And so that was really in the early days, my approach. And then as I had a child and begin to raise her and go through all the things we go through as parents and then, you know, ultimately go empty nest and, and now be the parent of a young professional. Um, I wish that I had been a little bit better in making parents allies. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't naturally happen. You, you have to, there's a certain amount of, of um, I'm, I'm going to use the term salesmanship but I don't mean it negatively. There's a certain amount of sharing the vision, sharing your heart, saying, here's where we want to go. Don't be afraid to have those conversations because your ministry is just as much to the parent as it is to the kid. And, uh, and when I, when I got to Lubbock, I had a little bit of that, but I, I inherited a youth ministry that just was in shambles. Hmm. 
Hmm. And I mean, we, it had been glorious in the past and over the course of several years, it had just declined. And so I focused heavily on the youth. Those relationships took off and I never really developed the parental relationships to the degree that I should. I did some, but not, I could have really done some world-class things with parents. And so don't be afraid to do that. There, not everybody is out to get you if you're in ministry. And I, I just want to say this to the, the youth pastors there, having been in ministry now for almost 40 years and, you know, at least half of that in youth ministry. And, and I'll say this as a senior pastor, as a lead pastor, I believe with all my heart to this moment, the most important ministry in a church at this moment, at this juncture in time is youth ministry. And it's not just because you're the last, the last stop before they are cast out into the world. You have the opportunity, you, you, there are people who relate, there are people who are uh, expressive, there are people who are developing ideas and you get to have your hands on that in a really, really powerful way. And so I, I believe with all my heart, we, we have great ministry here at the church. I have our youth minister is doing youth ministry as well as I've seen it done in this generation. I mean, he is really top of his game. Uh, smart, relational, fun, funny, uh, great with parents, great with kids, uh, but it takes a lot of work and, and it's the, the hardest job I think you'll ever do, but I think it's the most important ministry in the church right now. Man, that, that's, that's some good wisdom right there, some good insight. So, I mean, don't you think when you say how important it is right now, I think you could say it's always been really, really important. Yes. Um, to me, it feels, I feel what you're saying. I feel the importance of it because the competition to speak into the students' lives has never been greater. Like they, the, the access that people have to speak into them through social media and all the channels, the, the, the mixed messages, the worldview shaping that's going on. I mean, it's just crazy. And yeah. don't you think that's a huge part of it? Like, you know, I, the thing, uh, cause when, when I, when we planted the Heights where I am now, I was 40 and I, I was, I was going through that question in my life, how long can I do youth ministry? And I was relatively certain I could do it at a high level for at least 10 years. I wondered what would happen beyond that. Yeah. But the Lord began to develop in me, listen, if you plant and you do it right, you do it this way, you will still be able to have hands-on generations moving forward. And so that, that was really what caused me to shift from being, because I I mean, we've all heard the joke about you get out of youth, you get out of the ministry and you get into the pastorate, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I really felt that way. I wouldn't even let people call me pastor uh, for a couple of years after I got into it because I just wanted to be Mike. I was a youth minister. And truth be known, that's still how I think. I process and, and think in terms of youth and college ministry. I really do. Yeah. But I, Lance, we you know, I didn't have to deal with social media. You know, there was no Facebook, there were no iPhones when I got out of youth ministry in the early 2000s. I mean, iPhone was released, what, 2007? You know, we, asking, we had, I, know. I had a flip phone and yeah. I was high tech, you know, yeah. I just moved up from the brick phone. So, um, 
you know, that was all you had. You might be able to send a picture or something with those original, the, I think it was a razor. Wasn't that what we had? Those yeah, Motorola original razor. flip phones. You, you were cool if you had a razor. So I never had to navigate iPhones, social media, that kind of stuff, the way that guys do now. And that's probably the greatest change. You were talking about the, the voices that come in and the real challenge in ministry, but in youth ministry in particular, is to let the timeless eternal truth of God become the guiding, the directional force in the life of a student and, and to help them understand it's not just about what you get out of it. It's about how God uses you to reach your world, which is where I go comes in. You know, that's, that's because you guys are developing an international or worldwide perspective of the, of the eternal work of God in a really powerful, moving way that doesn't just communicate truth, it puts hands on it. Yeah. And when you're, when you're sitting there as a youth minister, if that task doesn't feel overwhelming, you probably aren't thinking about it correctly because right. it should be overwhelming. It should be, it should be intimidating. It should be overwhelming. And that's where you realize it's not a human endeavor. It's a supernatural you know, eternal endeavor that the Holy Spirit has said, Hey, come, come be a part, come be on my team for a minute. You know? Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he puts you at that church to be on his team, to help influence a generation. And, and if you would see it as I need to build the team and parents can help me, it, it'll change. It, it'll transform everything because. Well, and I think are... that's that you just touched on. I think the key, cause you know, we've been in ministry. Do you realize you make you and I've been in ministry like 70 80 years combined that's that's terrifying to think of definitely editing that part out but yeah (laughs) it's you know but i i think you hear the stories all the time of listen i've got a bad church i've got a tough pastor i've got really hard leadership the church doesn't have resources you hear all of those you know and, and you'd say what you, I started out bivocationally. I was given a 500, a $600 a year youth budget. <laughs> and they told, they literally said, here's your $600 budget. Don't ask us for any more money. <laughs> and you're like, well, how do you, how do you develop ministry? How do you do anything other than, you know, once a month social or something? Yeah. And so you have to get creative and you have, and, you know, there's ways to get funding. Uh, there, there are ways to get resources. And, but you're talking to the Lord a lot uh, about that all the time. But the one thing you can always do, regardless whether you're in a small town, whether you're in a big city, whether you're in a small church or a huge church, you've got to develop a team of people. And that's as a, as a pastor, you know, I, I'm, I'm Ephesians 4.12. As a youth minister, you're Ephesians 4.12. You equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And, and so you're developing adults, you're developing a team. And I, I was able to do that at all the churches I've been at. And we've been able to do that here. Uh, as a pastor, it's a little bit different level, but as a youth minister, it's very much grassroots. Um, I, when I started in Lubbock, there were, the youth ministry I inherited, I think had three, by the time I got there, they had three workers in a youth ministry that should be running a couple of hundred kids. I mean, it was nothing. And about three months in, I kind of had a meeting 
of some adults, just some people that I had randomly talked to and I pitched, here's what we want to do. We're going to make disciples and we're going to, we're going to go from how to have a quiet time to how, how to have a, a world perspective of what the Lord wants you to have. That's yeah. where we're going. Will you get on board? And they did. Hmm. And it became just an incredible, a really potent, powerful youth ministry here in this community. And, and the cool thing is I'm reaping a little bit of the benefits of that now because a lot of the kids that were in that youth ministry as adults who now have high school students and some of them college students are now serving here at this church. They've kind of over the years migrated back over here. I even have a kid in this church who was at the church in Amarillo that you came to Lance. Oh, wow. And uh, he's, he's, they moved here from Dallas last year and it's been such a cool reunion to see him. It's just, and, and they're, you know, very much part of what we do. That's really cool. I, I think, you know, what? one of the things I think is true that nobody ever thinks about when you talk about this whole idea, building the team, getting adults involved is that, that young youth ministers looking at those parents and going, what do I have to offer them? And you're forgetting how overwhelming parenting is. You're forgetting how parents do not feel like. I, I can't remember very many times as a parent that I have felt like I've had everything under control. I, most of the time I don't. Right. And parents feel that way. They feel overwhelmed. And so the youth minister who doesn't have kids or has you know infants still is around teenagers all the time. And you understand teenagers and you can speak into parents. You, you can help them because they're trying to figure this out. And then parents, when you come and you enlist them and you invite them in, they become your allies. They, they, the trust comes when you share leadership, when you, when you ask them into that. And so that's just a, such a huge thing that sometimes everybody's like, well, I, I think they think this and they're not thinking that. And they think the other way. And it's like, no, we're all on the same team. So build that team. It's, it only sets you up for success when you do that. Well, here's the one, the one thing that you as a youth pastor have in common with your youth's parents is you're all pulling for the same person, yeah. their kid. Yep. And, and if you, you know, communicate, always try to communicate that well to them. And, you know, you do the little things like you show up at their game or their dance recital or their, you know, eighth grade band concert. I don't know which is, I don't know which is worth seventh, seventh and eighth grade band concerts or seventh grade B team basketball. I mean, both yeah. of them are, are equally horrific, Yeah. but you show up and you support them and you encourage them and, and uh, you know, you let them know that you're, you have their kid in common with them and your emphasis is their development as a disciple, right? And, and equipping them to become mature believers. Uh, but there's so many other things that play into that, um, that, you know, you can't be a part of everything, but you try to be a part of, of the things, especially the important things you can. Uh, we had um, our admin here at our church um, has, there's a family in our church who has a daughter who runs track and, and she's like, I don't think sixth, seventh grade, something like that. And this little girl is never going to be a great track star, never going to be anything. But she asked our admin, she said, I have a track meet this week and I'm so excited about it. I want to, I want to do it. And so our admin said, do you think it would be okay if I took off work to go 
see her and, and everybody on staff was like, absolutely go, go do that. It, it's all ministry. Yeah. You know, whether you're at a concert or whether you're teaching the Bible or whatever, and, and they're the kids looking to you and the parents need encouragement because you never have it all together. Yeah. And, um, and so be, be their ally. And there's always tough situations. I had really tough parents and went through hard times in ministry and felt like there were people that were out to get me. You know, we all go through that. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're at a big church or a small church or anywhere in between. Yeah. That's, that's a part of the ministry. And it doesn't change if you're the pastor. It doesn't change if you're, you know, at a different position or a different city. It's always there. Um, but you do, you do the work that God gave you to do and love on people and then just in, continue to invest in them. I, you know, I put, I was writing some words down of what I would encourage youth ministry as we come out of COVID. Yeah. Um, because, you know, that's, that's the deal. Nobody knows what's, nobody knows what's going on right now. Nobody, we're all trying to put hands on it and, and get some traction. Yeah. And the one thing I think that COVID's forced the church to do is to simplify Mm-hmm. all our big grand designs and schemes, you know, all of a sudden you're in a matter of two or three weeks, you're limited down to doing online church in a lot of cases, yep. you know? And so it comes down to the least common denominator, do the most important things you can. And you have to simplify that way. Um, the other thing, the other thing that I would do, I would say is get your kids, get your parents to have some ownership in what the church is doing and what the ministry is doing. Um, you know, I, I had a goal when I was at Bacon Heights here in Lubbock. And this, that's kind of where, where you and I and JR linked up in regard to the old eyewitness, now I go stuff. Yeah. Is I, I had a goal that if a kid came through my youth ministry in the six years I had them, that I wanted to develop them so that at some point, they had the opportunity to have an international ministry experience, not an international sightseeing trip, but an actual ministry experience. Yeah. You know, because there, there's a lot of things they can do through school and it may be historic in nature. It may be, you know, as to if it's band or choirs, they get to go sing on the national mall in Washington or some, all of that stuff is cool, but I wanted it to be a ministry experience Yeah. because the one thing that I found is Anytime, and you guys know, this is the cool thing, I think, Lance, about what you guys are doing. You get a kid that goes anywhere, whether it's, you know, Mexico or Canada or foreign countries like New Mexico or wherever. (laughs) Um, When they do that, all of a sudden, God's plan gets so much bigger Mm -hmm. because they, and and they're changed almost invariably. Uh, I, they're, they're changed in a, a very positive way because he's not an American God or he's not a Texan God. He is those things, but he is a God for all the nations and a God for all ethnicities mm-hmm. and all places and all times. You know, I had experienced that. My, my first international trip was in 1984 when I was 22 years old and I went to uh, South Korea. And um, it must have been a long boat ride. <laughs> dude, it was, we were all tired from paddling and rowing. <laughs> we had our, you know, the multi oars and we were pulling oh, yeah. those, those Viking slave ships. But um, God 
changed my heart in a massive way in the two or three weeks that we were there. Mm-hmm. We were planting churches and, and doing evangelism. And um, I went over there not really wanting to go and not really wanting to go there. I wanted to go anywhere but there. Sure. And uh, the Lord was like, no, I think this is where you need to go. And it was exactly what I need. And so having experienced that and knowing, and I mean, it changed me um, to this day. I mean, I, I go back to Tejon Korea uh, for the genesis of so much of the way that I see the world. And you, so I had the goal to, to provide that for our kids, but it had to be some kid that was willing to go through the ministry, you know, right? Because that was kind of the, not the capstone and it wasn't a reward, but you had to have some chops before I wanted to take you internationally. And because, uh, you know, you get some kids that get there and they, they struggle. They really struggle. And you get some kids there that just light up. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but I had that as a goal. And so you, you, you sell that whole process. And I, I told our staff in staff meeting Tuesday, I think pastoring shepherding is probably as far as akin to any other uh, vocation, probably more like coaching than anything. Cause you have them for a limited amount of time mm-hmm. and you've got to invest your process, your plan into them and develop them through it and then launch them out to the next league or the next part of their life. Right. So it, it's a very special, special time. And, you know, by the time they're teenagers, they're learning to relate. They're smart. They're savvy. They field information with great agility, um, much more so than my generation ever, you know, process that kind of information, but you have a great opportunity. And so what you do is incredibly important. Yeah. You know, a great ministry. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that because I know you, you've been in, involved in it in different ways over the years, but like, that's, that's what I think sometimes people don't get about IGO is that they think that all we're like, we're just concerned about missions. And we are like, I want to see the whole world, you know, every nation, tribe and tongue. I want to be a part of that because that's God's plan. That's his agenda. That's his heart. But where my passion is, is in discipling students. That's why I do IGO. And right. I'm hoping that, and I'm not hoping, I'm seeing it. We've been seeing it for 21 years. These students are making an impact on the nations. But, but the passion is we want students that own their faith and live out their faith. And they know how to share their faith when they get out of high school. And if, like you said, we believe that going on an international ministry experience is a huge part of that. And I love how you're talking about that because you're talking about taking students in that six years you have them in youth ministry from you, your, your goal is not to take them from A to Z because God's just getting this work going in their life. It's like A to C or A to D, what, but you got to have a plan for what that is going to look like. And now that you have this pastor's perspective on it, Mike, and you've seen it all and you've done this so many years, like what are those essentials, bro? Like what are the things you got to be doing this with the six years you have students? You already mentioned the international missions stuff. Is there something you'd add to that or other well, things? I, I would, you know, you know this. Uh, my theory, I'm the one pastor who can't play golf. I I play golf and I lose my religion, man. I lose. <laughs> it's just not a good, it's not a good thing for me. So uh, years ago, you know, my therapy is I would work. Yeah. And I have. Uh, a shop full of tools after 35 years of doing this, you know, I've collected them over the years. 
not every tool does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And some tools can do multiple tasks, although some not as well as some of the others that are more specialized for things. So many of these ministry things are tools that you use as a shepherd or as a carpenter to shape, you know, somebody that the Lord has given you. And, you know, something to consider is, first of all, you got to realize, why do I have these people or these kind of people? You know, I wish I had a different kind of people or people with a different perspective. Brother, listen, the Lord put you there. Yeah. He put you there for a reason. And so he gave you what he gave you. And, and rather than bemoan the fact that, you know, I wish I had smarter people or, you know, more athletic people or more musical people or, or whatever, you have what you have. And so, first of all, that's the raw material the Lord has given you. Hmm. And, and it's a gift. Uh, he didn't say it was going to be easy. That's why he put the Holy Spirit in you. And so your job is to tap into that and then to begin to par- parlay in their lives the shaping that the Lord gives you. So it's not about you. It's about the Lord's ministries. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And so, uh, so uh, yeah, the international thing, that was kind of the, the capstone. I wanted them, first of all, to develop a, a deep personal walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. That That's non-essential. So you start with the basics of discipleship, you know, your quiet time, your prayer, your journaling, your Bible reading, your memorization. I wanted them to be able to articulate the gospel very clearly um, and, and realize, you know, you're not always going to have the answers for the people who are going to make a statement or, or make a charge against you. Yeah. And it's okay to be honest and say, you know what, I tell you what, let's continue this discussion another time. Let me get back to, to you on that. So to be able to, to articulate the gospel, I wanted them to um, be able to develop a deep community to realize it's not just about me. You, One of the things we developed at Bacon Heights, and, and I, I got to see it in my last four or five years that I was there, to have my upperclassmen not be so cool they couldn't deal with the younger classmen, mm-hmm. but to build into them the idea that your job as a sophomore, junior, senior in high school is to help develop and bring up the, the sixth, seventh, eighth grader underneath you. And I got to see that. Um, one of the guys that, that is involved with, with IGO, uh, in fact, his wife, I think, is your accountant or something. Uh, he, he is. Clint's the accountant. Oh, no, no, sorry. I thought you were talking about Joe. <laughs> Joe Looney. No. Joe Looney's now our bookkeeper. Yes, I know. I know. Sassy Joe is your is your uh, yeah is El- your Elizabeth is our uh, travel coordinator. I okay, got you. Elizabeth. All you you know all my people. Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> nearly all your people. I you know I'm I'm actually Kai's granddad. Did you know that? Because I was Aaron Groff's youth minister. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Tate was Tate was in that. Mayor Mayor Tate was in that group that you came to in Amarillo. I think. Shall I say about my youth-led revival team giving him a swirly? At uh... <laughs> I I tried to bring that up with Jason not too long ago, and he he denied every bit of that. So, yeah, yeah, of course he would. <laughs> of course he would. I just remember we had to rebuild that stall after that after yeah. that struggle. <laughs> it's good to know a woodworker. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, anyway, um, I saw that in Amarillo a little bit. Clint was one of those guys that um, I, I remember on a ski trip. I mean, simple things. On a ski trip, had a, a sixth grade kid that shouldn't have been on that trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all honesty, he just wasn't ready to go out of town away from his mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, but he was there and when we had to deal with him and he was driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. And I remember the coolest kid in our youth group was Clint. And I remember Clint got it and he's pulled, the kid's name was Dwayne. I don't remember his last name, but he pulled him aside and said, Hey man, why don't you, why don't you and I hang out together for a little bit? And so this senior who had paid money to go on this trip realized it's not just about a ski trip. This is ministry. And he pulls this kid aside everything was fine after that. Hmm. I got to see kids, my upperclassmen look at my underclassmen and that youth group here in Lubbock and say, hey, hey, that's not, we, we call ourselves the bacon bits, if you'll remember. The oh bacon yes, bits. I have the we, shirts. We had the shirts, you know, mm-hmm. bacon bits. And they would look at them and say, that's not how we do things. And I didn't have to do it. They, they had bought in to the ownership of it. And they were communicating to the younger generation, this is how we as a group do things. So I wanted them to develop that kind of community. That was very, very important. And we, we worked on that constantly. Yeah. T- um, so time, time out. You said you didn't have to do it. They bought into it. You worked on it constantly. What were those things Okay. Yeah. What, like what, 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 what helps that? Cause a lot of people are like, man, our high school kids hate our middle school kids because yeah. middle school kids are dorks and they don't. Yeah. And so you can't just shove them in the room, hope it works out. Right. Like that, that friction, that friction has been there forever. Yes. I mean, yes. uh, and, and you know, the kids, your sixth, seventh, eighth graders don't want to have anything to do with the, you know, third, fourth and fifth graders. Yep. Well, that's part of the natural progression of, of aging right. in, in the ministry. We always spoke and, you know, I, I, this is certainly a scriptural process, but uh, Lance, you'll appreciate this. When Krzyzewski wrote the book, um, what was his first book after the first national championship? Um, uh, not Gold Standard. There was another one before that. Yeah. Uh, it was one of Mike Krzyzewski's books on leadership. You probably got it back there. I've got it over here on my shelf. I just can't see it because I don't have my glasses It's on. got a season as a lifetime or beyond basketball. They're right here on my shelf. The season no, as a lifetime. That's the one I think was right after the first national championship. It, but he talks about in yeah. there, you always talk in terms of the team. Yeah. There, there's not there may be individual goals, but you always talk goal-wise in terms of the team. We, you use, you know, plural pronouns, we, us. And so you start, you always talk about, we are the bacon bits, not you're the bacon bits. And those are, you know, the annoying sixth and seventh graders who are ruining our, our thing. You you constantly talk about that. You teach on it, obviously some too. But most of it, I think, is, is, as they say, more caught than taught. Hmm. They, you know, I would develop that our team of adults. It was always us. It was always we. It wasn't junior high and high school or middle school and high school. It was a group. And then we would split off. It was very much a super summer kind of mentality where you've got the campus and it was all about the campus. Mm-hmm. But then you had your schools or you had, you know, certain things that you did within that smaller group and 
kids began to feed off of that. And so we would, we would talk that and teach that all the time and you reinforce it constantly. Listen, that's not the way we do things. Not necessarily that's wrong, not necessarily yeah. like that's tradition. This is how we do, this is the way, and we would say, this is how bacon bits do, thing, do things. I've, we were at a camp one year and we had a group of eighth grade girls who had a really strong dynamic who were just, man, they trashed every, they were like a hurricane. They trashed everything in their path. And, and we knew going in, they were going to be difficult to deal with. And I, I pulled them aside one night after big, you know, after the, the big worship time and um, lit them up about, listen, this is not how bacon bits do things. You are excluding people. You are ostracizing others. You're going to make that. You're not just not going to do it anymore. You're going to make it right tonight before you go to bed and employ some of those biblical principles of accountability and listen, if somebody, if you, if you know that you've offended somebody, you go to them and you suck it up and you ask for forgiveness. Because one of the things that, that we do wrong culturally, we tell people to say, go tell them you're sorry. You know, and, and let's be honest, if, if I offended you and I come to you and I say, hey, Lance, I'm sorry. I, what you're thinking is you're dang right. You're sorry, Martindale. You wouldn't have done it if you weren't sorry. That's not, that didn't help. What helps if, as I say, Lance, I was wrong. I know that now. Will you forgive me? And now the ball's in your court. Do that. Well, bacon bits do that. You know, that's that was part of our mantra. And so our our upperclassmen would do that. Our, our uh, underclassmen would do that. And it was really cool to let them exercise peer pressure. And by about the fourth or fifth year there, that was that was part of the culture. And so when I say I didn't have to do it at that point, I would step back and let my upperclassmen do that. And they, I mean, we had, we had kids, we had kids on a ski trip to Telluride one year. Um, pretty sure they were lighting it up across the creek and, uh, and our kids took care of it. Hmm. You know, I, I didn't really have to deal with it. I didn't have to go tell or tattle on anybody's to their parents. Whatever. The positive peer pressure, if it's godly, is an incredibly powerful ministry tool but it has to be developed and equipped into it by the youth pastor or by the youth leaders. Man, that's so good because we, we typically think like we, we go down to what's the basics and we start thinking, okay, what do I got to teach? What, are, yeah. what, what, what experiences and, and experiences are a big, big part of this. You already mentioned that, but it's like, what do I teach? What do I build in? What camps do we need to go to? When do we need to do a retreat? All those things are important, but what you're saying is, you got to build a biblical culture in your youth ministry because then it, it becomes a part of their DNA. It becomes who they are and, and maybe no more important than right now when they don't have a biblical culture at school, they don't have it anywhere else in their life. Maybe uh, parents are struggling with what does that even look like in the home? And you know, you know, the stats about broken homes and dysfunctional stuff, all that. So all of a sudden you got a youth ministry. There's this place that I belong that has a biblical culture to it. Man, that is huge. That is, that's really have good. To have somewhere you just create a culture where, okay, we know this. And we use the term in youth ministry all the time that this is a safe zone. Yeah. It legitimately needs to be a safe zone and it can be wild and zany and crazy and active and all of those things that it is. But uh, you've got to, you've got to, 
develop that. That doesn't happen naturally because the natural thing is the friction between the age groups. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Oh man, that's good, bro. That's really good. And, uh, and, you know, and truth be known to the pastors listening, we all are trying to create that in our church right Mm -hmm. now in a, in a, racially divided, socially divided, politically divided world, we as believers, not just those of us who are in vocational ministry, have an opportunity and a responsibility to really, listen, if we just do what Christ told us to do, we solve these problems. Mm -hmm. It ain't hard in concept it's just hard in application and you got to set yourself aside you don't have to have the last word you don't have to you know talk the loudest or whatever you know the church when it's been successful has done that in the face of incredible adversity well we've got some now good let's take the opportunity and do something with it yeah and one of the things we say at i go a lot that we've learned from one of our missionaries is this is simple but it's not easy yeah yeah well said that that's that's it that's here's here's what jesus said it looks like to follow him here's what jesus said it looks like to treat each other when we're following him so let's try to build a culture that where those things are valued well, and, and celebrated be able to do it in the moment mm-hmm. you know you get you don't have to win everything as a coach when because what people may or may not know about you other than the 11 people that are actually watching <laughs> is that you are a really good coach. And, and part of that, and you know, this is if you can't rise to excellence at a moment's notice, then you're not ready yet. Right. You know, and, and you, so you try to train, you try to develop that into people to just win that moment, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, and, and that, that we, Think of it in terms of, okay, if I get persecuted, I'm going to speak for Jesus. Mm-hmm. What about being faithful when you've had to stay up too late studying the night before yeah. and, and you've got to get up and have your quiet time? Be, be faithful to that mm-hmm. in that moment or in the moment that your little sister or your mom or your dad says a word to you that just infuriates you. No, no, no. When that moment, you know, and, and having spent the last four years of my life rehabbing various things, (laughs) whether it be knee rehabs or heart rehabs or whatever, when you're in physical therapy, it's never fun. And your mindset has to be, okay, I'm just going to win this moment. That's what they teach alcoholics and people that are coming just win today. Yeah. And give God the glory, give God control of this moment right here, right now, today. If we can do that, then you string several, you string several victories together and all of a sudden you got a win streak, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so in the church, we need to simplify and then take ownership of the stuff God told us to do. And it's going to be okay. The, the church is primed to be the church in the world moving ahead, unlike any other time in my lifetime. Yep. Mike, I love what you said because 
most of our audience for this podcast episode is probably pastors, youth ministers. I mean, there's so much good stuff for them, but we have students that listen to our podcast also. And the students that listen to our podcast are these IGO students who are ready to tell the whole world about Jesus. They want to do huge things for Christ. And man, if you're a student right now, here's what you just heard from a guy who's been in the trenches for a long time. You better be focused on the little things. You better be faithful in how you're treating your mom and your dad and your siblings and how you're showing up at church on Wednesday and Sunday. And like all those little things is how God prepares you to do big things. And your generation, man, this generation, Mike, you know, they want to do the big stuff. Sometimes they're flying right past that small stuff. And so that's, man, that's really, really good. And, and realize it's never, it's, it's never perfect. Yeah. It's never going to be perfect. I took a, have a girl uh, that came out of our youth ministry a couple of years ago and I took her to Slovenia. It all kind of comes back around to Slovenia, Lance. Of course. And yes. We were in Slovenia and we had worked hard, dude, all of the things that you guys do in Igoja. Uh, about, you know, working on how you share when you're called upon to share and be prepared for that. And she was terrified of that. And we're sitting around in a meeting with some Slovenes. And I looked at her, I call her G. Her last name is, is starts with a G. So I call her G. And uh, I looked at her and said, G, why don't don't you share? She puddled up and bawled. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we kind of gave her a minute. She came back and, and kind of came back around. I said, not letting you off. Go ahead. You need to share. Cause I really felt like she needed to. And she did a great job. And a couple of days later, we're sitting in a, an apartment with a Slovenian gangster and his wife. And she opens up and shares and it was received very, very well. And you, you realize, okay, it wasn't perfect. I, you know, puddled up my first time I tried to do this and kind of got my feet under yeah. me. And it was cool to let the Lord develop out of her what we all knew was there. And just just win that one moment, man. Just win that one thing. And most of the time, it's not sharing Jesus with the masses. Most of the time, it's not, you know, strangling your younger sister. Yeah. You know, or it's treating your mom with respect or it's being, if you tell your teacher, you're going to meet them at, at 830 in the morning, you meet them at 830 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound like Christianity, but that's the core of the character of the Christian. Absolutely. Man, it's so good. Yeah. And uh, it, that can help everybody because that, like as a youth minister, if you forget to celebrate those little moments, yeah, then they won't yeah. be repeated. You know, like let that kid win that moment and celebrate it. Yeah. Encourage them. Like, hey, I saw it. I know you didn't want to do that. The group, if you get a group mentality of, hey, let's let's be aware and recognize those things and encourage one another. Yeah. You know, what was the scripture says, encourage one another daily. Mm-hmm. So you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you can celebrate those things, man, I loved that you said this. I love that, that. I know that was hard for you. Yeah. No, but look at what you did. And I know that, that she annoys you, but you included her in what you were doing. Yeah. uh, You know, and all of that sound, you just kind of hear this. We all hear this and kind of go, well, duh, that's not, you know, transformational. Yes, it is. Yeah. Right. Those little changes. I mean, when, when I'm in the shop, 
I, I may do 15 different processes to get to the finished product. Mm-hmm. And some of it is just enjoy the fact that you were able to do this well today and realize, okay, Lord, you know, by your grace, I'll continue one more day. Yeah. And, and that's the value of longevity yep. uh, in anything, in a job, in a marriage, in a ministry. Uh, one of the things I asked the Lord when we moved here to the Heights, when we planted out here was, Lord, I don't want to be a gypsy. I'll do what you want me to do, but I really want to plant and invest my life somewhere and, and do this. And, and that breeds security mm-hmm. in the people you're ministering to. I'm not looking to jump and go to a bigger ministry or a bigger church. I mean, I, I had opportunities, especially early on when we were one of the fastest growing churches, you know, in Texas to go other places. And I didn't. I didn't want to, you know, um, and that would have been great and fun and they would have had more resources. You know, I, I've never been at a ministry that was ever resourced to the degree I would like it to be. We, sure. So we've had to figure out how to make things work. Okay. So yeah. you get pretty good at it over the years. And so it's never perfect, but longevity is a, is a huge deal because it communicates security and stability and those things and you can grow a disciple in that kind of soil if you're constantly changing staff constantly changing youth ministers constantly changing pastors churches founder ministries founder and so i think we need to develop for the ministers you know much more longevity and as a pastor i'm trying to generate that and develop that in my staff and in fact i told my staff tuesday one of the things one of our strengths is that at this point, most of us have been doing what we're doing here for a while. Yeah. We have far exceeded the, the shelf life, not the shelf life, but the, um, that yeah. quick expiration date you see in a lot of ministry. Yeah, no, that's good. So that stay in it, don't get frustrated, trust the Lord, let him work out what he wants. And someday maybe he does move you, but in the meantime, man, be excellent. That feels like a good place for me to pull in some music. Like that was, you're going to do one shining moment here? <laughs> one shining moment would be good. If I could get by these copyright laws on these real songs, <laughs> that would help me so much. But you heard it today, folks, that uh, Mike doesn't want to be a gypsy, but you did not hear him say he does not want to be a Slovenian gangster. So <laughs> it could be that that's maybe what he wants uh, when he retires. <laughs> Brother had a great life, man. <laughs> <laughs> man that's so good mike um i don't want to take up too much more of your time but i'd like to have you again uh on this podcast like let's do this again let's do some more rapid fire let's tell some more crazy stories but let's keep talking about youth ministry from your perspective because you bro you got a lot a lot to help people with on that i appreciate you doing it today thank you lance it's always good to be with the i goshens (laughs) yeah you know, you know, Mackenzie's, my daughter's name is Mackenzie. Her first international experience was with IGO. And uh, she did a couple of those and she moved into, she actually, as a college student, was leading uh, trips into Germany from our church. Yeah. And they were going in working with trafficked women and really some dark places. And and the, the training that she had, the equipping that she got from from Japan and some of the places that she was at was absolutely um, vital to the success of those ministries. 
Well, thanks for saying that, bro. Mackenzie is one of our favorites, one of my favorites for a long time. I've, I've uh, definitely loved that girl. And um, appreciate you taking some time to share some wisdom with us, bro. All the it's way funny. from Lubbock, Texas, via the Zoom machine. So just down have, the road from Panhandle. Just down the road from Panhandle, the, uh, the big town with no trees. <laughs> thanks, Mike. It's good to have you, bro. See you.